Welcome to Title Now, where we bring issues of interest to real estate transactional attorneys and the title insurance industry. I'm Melissa Murphy with The Fund, and I have the pleasure to host these conversations. There is always a lot going on in the title insurance and settlement services business. Every year here at The Fund, we host over 800 attorneys at our premier event, Fund Assembly, to see and hear the latest on laws, technology, politics, best practices, everything concerning our industry. I have the opportunity at Assembly to provide my perspective on the landscape, and I thought you might find it interesting to hear my remarks. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to Fund Assembly. This past year has been one of watching. We've been watching technology, we've been watching the markets, we've been watching politics. We've been looking at these things that are going on from the perspective of how does this affect you in your daily practices. And in some situations, we think the best posture is to just wait and see what happens before we react and do anything. We've also spent a lot of time focusing on internal processes here at the fund, uh, the ways in which we support you, and I have the opportunity to weigh in on those issues too. So, all in all, a pretty busy year. So here's what I'm gonna talk about today. CFPB update, some bills pending in Congress in D.C. that involve TRID and Dodd-Frank, uh, FinCEN GTOs, data call, updated commitment clauses for your fund products, and I want to wrap up with some information about remote online notarization. And I want to spend most of my time on that last topic, so uh, I'm going to speed through these other ones. CFPB update. Mick Mulvaney is still the director. Uh, there's still litigation about that, but we pretty much treat him as the director. And acting in his capacity as director, he's done several things. He changed the name of the bureau. It's not the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau anymore. It's the Bureau of Consumer Financial Protection. He says that's the proper statutory name. Well, I'm still gonna call it Consumer CFPB. Uh, he has made four recommendations to Congress. Let's fund the Bureau through congressional appropriations and not through the Federal Reserve. Let's require legislative approval of major rules proposed by the Bureau, no definition of major. He wants to ensure that the director answers to the president in terms of executive authority, I guess to clear up who has the authority to do what. And last, he is recommending the creation of an independent inspector general for the Bureau. Some people want to establish a commission uh, to govern the Bureau, but he is opting for this independent inspector general. Soon after he was appointed, he issued an internal memorandum that set forth a new direction for the Bureau. So I'm going to quote from this memorandum, which is really interesting. First. The law mandates that we enforce consumer protection laws, and we will continue to do that. But then he went on to say that the previous governing philosophy was to aggressively push the envelope in pursuit of that mission. And he said that will be different under his leadership. He also made this statement. On regulation, it seems that the people we regulate 
should have the right to know what the rules are before being charged with breaking them. This means more formal rulemaking that institutions and lenders can rely on and less regulation by enforcement. So this all sounds good to me. Maybe there's a new environment in Washington for some amendments to Dodd-Frank, and then if rules need to be changed as a result, there'll be some common sense associated with those rules. So what changes to the law are being talked about in Washington? The first is the TRID Improvement Act. This calls for an amendment to RESPA to require that the disclosure of the cost of owners and mortgagee title insurance be done accurately and in accordance with state law. This is the fix we have been asking for. Woo. It's passed the House of Representatives, it's now over on the Senate side, and proponents are trying to get it incorporated into a larger legislative effort. The next bill is the Guide Compliance Act. What the heck is that? They love acronyms. Give Useful Information to Define Effective Guidance Act would require the CFPB director to issue binding guidance, legally binding guidance, because up until now, we're under the current language of the law, all of the informal guidance that the Bureau has given us is not legally binding on the Bureau. Very, very frustrating to those of us in the industry. The last bill would transition the CFPB from a sole director to a five-person bipartisan committee. Uh, that's the Financial Product Safety Commission Act of 2018. And there's a whole lot of stuff in that act, but this is the one that I wanted to report to you on. So I'm keeping an eye on these bills. I'm headed to the Alta uh, Advocacy Summit later this month, and I will have the opportunity to talk one-on-one -on, -one on uh, members of the House of Representatives, members of the Senate about our interests under these bills. And I am very excited to have found out yesterday that Mick Mulvaney is going to be the keynote speaker at that Alta Advocacy Summit. So I'm very excited to meet him and have some one-on-one -on -one with him. Next thing I want to talk about is FinCEN. In January of 2006, FinCEN uh, issued the first of a series of geographic targeting orders. Those GTOs require the gathering and submission of information about purchasers of residential property. Not all purchasers were covered. Only cash deals, pretty much, were covered at or above a certain purchase price. The counties in Florida were limited to Palm Beach, Miami, Dade, and Broward. All of you and all of our members have recently been sent updated information about this issue and it requires your attention. We sent out a fund alert, it's legit. You can open it and click on the link to get to that updated information. The underwriting attorneys that are here have as much up-to-date information about that situation as we could get and they will do their best to help you with whatever questions that you have. And with that pithy explanation, I will move on. Data call. 
Now, data call is really an inaccurate way to refer to what I want to talk about, but we all say data call. What I really mean is the Office of the Insurance Regulations obligation, or really statutory directive, to regularly review title insurance rates. They've collected data for three years. That rate analysis is definitely on OIR's radar, which means it's on my radar. They have informally told us that they will send some information out to us this summer. So we don't know what that means, but we are really looking forward to getting a communication from OIR. You will be the first to know. My point here is that this regulatory process hits at the heart of your business. You will need to be involved in whatever action is taken by OIR, the Financial Services Commission, and ultimately the Florida Legislature, because this will affect you. I want you to be prepared to articulate the value that you bring to a transaction in your role as title agent. And please, please support title, our political committee. Help me open doors. Most of the legislators do not understand our industry. They don't understand what you do. And I have to convince them to just give me the opportunity to get in to talk to them and tell our story. So I need you to support title. If you contribute while you're here, you'll get your name and a drawing for a free assembly registration for next year. If that gives you that little extra incentive to give today or tomorrow, great. Uh, but I want you to understand how important it is that you help because that gives me access to the decision makers in Tallahassee. Now, some good, if not great news. Jimmy and I have heard comments over the past couple of years from you that many of our commitment clauses are cumbersome and unnecessarily complicated and wordy. We listened and we consulted with our underwriting team and they undertook a very significant analysis of those clauses with a particular focus on um, those areas in which change seemed most appropriate, LLCs, bankruptcy. So you will see revised, simplified clauses in the updated title notes and standard commitment clause handbook. Those new clauses will start showing up in branch products very soon, and you will be getting more detailed information about this probably next week. And I wanna take uh, this opportunity to give a shout out to Melissa Scaletta and her entire underwriting team along with Rebecca Wood, Lynn Lovejoy, and Michelle Schutz. And I also want to give a shout out to branch education uh, folks, Carolyn Capitan and Bridget Beckford, along with our Resware guru, Danny Rakunandan, who made this a priority and did a tremendous amount of work to make this happen. I wanna also just leave this topic by saying, this shows that we listen to you. It may not happen overnight, 
because we are pretty careful about what we do at the fund, but we do listen to you and we want to continue to get that feedback. So now, let's talk about the buzz through the industry. Remote online notarization. Let's start with some definitions. Electronic notarization. Electronic notarization, the notary and the signer are in each other's presence. This is doable in Florida today. It's been doable in Florida for over a decade. Who knew? Well, technically we all knew, but we never used it. It's rarely used in real estate transactions. This is going to change, so you need to start paying attention to this. Now, electronic notarization, where the signer and the notary are not in the same room, but are connected electronically through audio and visual technology, that's what's new. That's what everybody is talking about. And there are all kinds of terms being used to refer to this, but we're gravitating toward remote online notarization, or RON. You know, we love acronyms. RON. So you hear me say RON. Now, this is currently not permissible in Florida. Florida notaries are not allowed to notarize a signature where the signer is not in their presence. We tried to get a bill passed in Florida this last year, and there will be another effort in 2019. Now, a handful of states have RON laws. Virginia, Montana, Nevada, Texas, Indiana, Tennessee, maybe Minnesota, maybe Vermont, because their legislatures were uh, considering it last week, they've all passed RON laws of some version or another. Bills are in the process in Kentucky, Colorado, Missouri, Nebraska, Ohio, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, and, of course, Florida. And there are likely others that I have missed. Virginia is the most notable. Why? Because they have fully implemented their law. And there is a lot of concern and a lot of discussion around the use of Virginia remote online notarizations on documents involving Florida real estate. They're in our public records. Old Republic's position is that Florida law requires the notary and the signer be in the physical presence of each other for there to be a proper, effective acknowledgement. That's what Florida law requires. And only documents with a proper notary acknowledgement are entitled to recordation and are deemed to provide constructive notice of their legal effect. With the claims presentation, you heard a little bit about the challenges of constructive notice. Add this to the list. Virginia notarizations are compounded by the lack of any requirement under their law that the document disclose whether the notarization was done by a remote online notary. So you can't tell. Now, Old Republic is not alone in their position. I cannot speak for all the, under, uh, all the other underwriters, but many of them share our concern. Now I know 
there's at least one underwriter doing business here in Florida that is willing to make that leap of law and takes the position that the phrase in the Florida statutes appear before, and that means physically appearing before or virtually appearing before. A reminder of why this is such a big deal. Again, to be entitled to recordation, a document concerning real estate must have a proper notary acknowledgement. And if you don't have a proper notary acknowledgement to be recorded, you aren't giving constructive notice of the rights under that document. So a mortgage with a defective notary acknowledgement does not provide constructive notice of the lien held by that mortgage holder. It can be set aside. What about the rights under, of grantees under deeds, under easements? This is a big, big deal. All right, I digress. This is not an underwriting presentation, so let me move on. We probably need a Ron Law here in Florida, why? Technology is there to support it and make it reliable. At least as reliable as our current system of in-person credential analysis. You don't verify the ID, you look to see if there's an expiration date. Why not allow for remote notarization of field trip permission slips? Why not allow remote notarization of medical consent forms so you can keep your grandkids for two weeks over the summer? And why not create our own Florida-grown system of notaries that can utilize this technology, be licensed by Florida regulators, and participate in Florida transactions handled by Florida lawyers and title agents? We are working on this, and there are various groups involved. Real Property Probate and Trust Law Section, uh, Florida Land Title Association, Florida Bankers, RON, Remote Notary Vendors, of course. But we are working very closely together to try to reach consensus on a bill that can be shepherded through the 2019 legislature. So what are the highlights of this proposed law? Because I think there are a lot of misconceptions. Definition of appear before, we have to redefine appear before to allow Florida notaries to remotely notarize signatures online. We have to be very surgical about that definition in order to avoid unintended consequences. Reciprocity is a huge philosophical issue. Currently, Florida law recognizes the paper in-person notary laws of every other state. Do we want to just automatically say that we will accept a remote online notarization statute passed by any of the other states with no standards set forth in our law? And what about those states that haven't even adopted a law yet? Many of us involved in this process are not comfortable with that. Now, the technical standards are very strong in the proposed law. Strong internet connection that the notary and the signer utilize to sign on to the website that provides the technology. They have to be able to communicate through audio and visual communication. The connection has to be secure. And the transaction must be videotaped 
and that videotape retained for a period of time so that it is available to examine if questions of fraud, forgery, or coercion, or you know, anything like that arise after the fact. The credential verification standards are very strong also. The signer has to answer certain questions, uh, the answers to which presumably only the signer knows. Then, and that's called knowledge-based authentication, another term you will see. Then they sign on to the website and they have to present their government-issued ID to the notary and the technology captures that ID and automatically verifies that it's a valid ID so the notary knows that this person has a valid ID. So overall, I am comfortable with the security aspects of the law. It is as reliable as shipping papers off to a buyer or a seller and telling them to go find a notary and you get the documents back and they look okay, but you don't have any idea if they really went to the notary and got it signed. You don't really know whether or not the notary checked the ID. But I am concerned that this technology is not something that the average notary can obtain on their own. It's gonna drive remote online notaries to a platform, to a vendor, so we are reflecting on how that will change the closing process. There are additional education and training requirements. There are additional insurance and bonding requirements. We're, not, we're still debating on whether or not powers of attorney and certain testamentary documents like wills and trusts should be carved out and not allowed to be remotely notarized. There is something, however, that we can all agree on. No remote online marriages. <sighs> so let's put all of this Ron Hoopla into the context of electronic closings in general. Okay, first of all, you have to think of electronic closings as something completely separate from remote online notarizations. They are not the same thing. An electronic closing it's pretty much like a paper closing. Everybody comes to your office, they sit down and they sign their closing documents. There's just little or no paper and they sign on a computer screen. The technology to do this is all around us. It can be an iPad, it can be a touch screen on a laptop, it can be a signature pad, like the ones you sign at Publix and Dick's Sporting Good when you check out. So you will still have the opportunity to go through the documents, explain the documents, get their signatures, but it will be on a screen. You will have to get used to that. So again, electronic closings are not the same thing at all as remote online notarization. I am starting to think of remote online notarization as merely a variation on the theme of a mail-away closing. So my focus right now, and that of a group of people here at the fund, is to learn everything we can about electronic closings and remote online notarization, share that knowledge with you, so that when a lender, a buyer, a seller, or a realtor call you and say, hey, can you do an electronic closing? You say, yes. Of course, you hang up the phone and then you say, that's why I'm a member of the fund.
This type of work for you is pretty much why I get up and go to work every day. Everyone at the fund is committed to your success, but my team and I have the chance to focus on issues like e-closings, to learn everything we can to make sure you can stay in the game. It's serious, it's important, and it ain't easy. But we work very hard to deliver information and guidance that is useful to you. These are stressful times. Change is scary. It's hard. But we're with you. But you might want to try goat yoga. <laughs> Thank you for your attention. Namaste. Thanks for listening. If your interest was piqued by any of my remarks and you want some more information, shoot me an email at mmurphy@thefund.com. And as always, thank you for your support of the fund. <laughs>